Life on the road can look like so many things, but ultimately it needs to look like home, uniquely your home. That's why we love our sponsor for this episode, Nomad Home. Nomadhome.com is a free online resource to help you get started or learn more about van life and living nomadically. Founders Jamie and John have used their own lived experiences as van lifers to bring you the tools you need to find and create your very own home on the road. Dreaming up life is one thing, but I know how overwhelming it can be when you're looking for answers to the big and small questions. Trust me, I've been there. Nomad Home can provide accessible help with decision making and putting your vision into action. You can visit their Fanlife how-to page to get you into the mindset of a nomad. Match up your desired version of a nomadic lifestyle with the proper vehicle and build by understanding the pros and cons of each choice. Then make sure you know your options when problem-solving finances, solar power, where to park, hygiene, and beyond. There's endless information to help you build your journey. Y'all, head over and check out nomadhome.com to peruse the wide range of information to help you get started with your build today. That's G-N-O-M-A-D home.com. Diversify Van Life presents Nomads at the Intersections podcast. Hey friends, Naomi here. Buckle up for this episode, number five of Nomads at the Intersections, the one and only podcast bringing you a different perspective on road travel. Y'all, we're getting so close to the end of our first season. This is the last interview before our season finale. Though this past year has separated us physically, through this platform we found an opportunity to connect with community in a beautiful and impactful way. It's been one hell of a ride, and I'm so grateful to all of you listening, for joining and supporting us along the way. And you know, in the words of Sam Cooke, It's been a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Spring is right around the corner. The days are getting longer and I'm so excited to be here once again with my friend and co-host Anais Monique. How you doing? I'm so good. Thank you for that beautiful intro. I um, Let me just say that I'm so grateful to be here underscored (laughs) you know last year at this time the world shut down and then a few months later we saw a huge explosion of new van lifers as it was both economical housing and a safe way to travel in our new circumstances Mm -hmm. so you know Naomi you travel you road traveled last March I did the beginning of the pandemic yeah so Uh, What are you doing to prepare now to get back on the road for this spring, summer? And also, how have have these pandemics affected your expectations for 2021? Mm, That last part. I'm really glad you asked that. I think I mentioned a couple of episodes back 
that my partner and I have been hunkered down in a house this winter, staying warm and safe, which is our number one priority and is still our number one priority. For most of 2020, we were in the van navigating COVID and the uprising on the road. And that really took a toll on me. Coming down to the end of 2020, I just felt defeated. So we decided to rent a place where we could recover and take some time for personal care. And we've been working on some new projects. I've been writing the manuscript for my book. But to be honest, in the last month, I've just found myself in a creative rut. Now that spring is around the corner, I'm itching to get back on the road, which is a confirmation for me that movement and travel is what stimulates my creativity. Normally, when I'm feeling stuck, I can change my surroundings, like living on the road in the van. I can go to a coffee shop or a library for a day, which, of course, is not not an option right now, at least not for us. Or I can just change my environment altogether. Like if we're in the desert, we'll drive to the forest, find a place to camp among the trees or sit by a river. You know, just change it up because that's how I thrive. (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to getting back on the road. And I know all of that just sounds privilege AF. And it is. For us road travelers, the act of recognizing our privilege calls for us to think about traveling more intentionally. It's more important than ever to be mindful of how we as travelers interact with the land and the people we encounter on our experiences. So for me, I know that we'll be moving very similar to how we did last year, traveling really slowly and being really intentional with the places uh, and the communities we interact with. For me, that means like being mindful of where we spend our money, small businesses, small towns, communities, particularly BIPOC communities have been hit the hardest during the pandemic. So whenever we can, that's where we'll be spending our money. Another really important part of being intentional as road travelers means planning our travels, learning about restrictions set by communities we'll be passing through and respecting those restrictions. And then two words, land rights, being conscientious of how we interact with and honor the land with the understanding that all land is native land. And this should be how we move through the world at all times, going out of our way to ensure that we're doing everything that we can to learn about, honor and respect native lands. And I call to other road travelers to do the same. Because this is how we minimize our negative impact on the road, not just environmentally, but socially as well. So I think, guess to answer your question, in preparation, we're getting the van ready. We're fixing some little things and making some changes and upgrades that are hard to do when you're living full time in your rig. And we're also downsizing all our gear and clothes, which is the hard part, I think. As for expectations, I don't think that we'll be going back to anything normal or normal air quotes the way it was before. And to me, that's okay because normal has never been safe or beneficial for people like me, for BIPOC. So we're creating our own safe spaces. The van life and road travel community looks a lot different now since Diversify Van Life has stepped into the mix. I mean, 90% of the growth we've made at Diversify Van Life and in the van life community as a whole has happened during the pandemic. So I expect that we will continue to shift the narrative 
I expect that we'll see a lot more BIPOC on the road. And the pandemics, as you mentioned, as difficult as this has been for all of us, it really has provided that spark or the fuel or maybe the vehicle, you know, for all these changes to happen. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. So how about you? How have you been preparing to get back on the road this spring, summer? And how have the pandemics affected your expectations? Well, like you, I've been in a creative rut. And I appreciate that you recognize the privilege that we have as travelers. You know, something I would always call myself when I was flying as a spoiled flight attendant, spoiled flight attendant. (laughs) I would always say that because like I was um, in the way that I had so much downtime, even though a lot of that was spent (laughs) recovering from jet lag, the access that I had, the disposable income because I wasn't paying a normal, what we would consider a normal amount of rent during those four years. So I was realizing for a long time that my travel patterns needed to change as a flight attendant, like where I spent my money. I stopped going to like the Starbucks. I stopped trying to seek them out for Wi-Fi, going other places, having local experiences. Um, So I appreciate you giving all of that advice and acknowledgement because I'm going to be definitely taking that with me on the road. I'm still new, as I said, <laughs> but I, I'm glad that I've kind of gotten my, my feet wet before I really start to travel because I know a little bit of what to expect. These pandemics have really just done a number on me. Uh, my mental health came pretty close to hitting rock bottom in this first, this first quarter. Like it, it was like I had made like a hundred withdrawals in 2020 on my mental health, and then just everything came out all at once and like simultaneously debited in, in 2021. So um, yeah, I was like for real in the negs. Now I just feel like I'm literally defrosting, so I'm trying to tap into that excitement mm. of anticipation of, of you know seeing people on the road and, and you know what does that look like in terms of safety and whatnot. Yeah, and so it's it's like right on time, like considering that I've had seasonal depression for the last 18 winters, <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thawing out right on schedule for spring. So just making sure like all the things, and, and then also that I'm being like safe in my rig, that I have, you know, the spare tire, that I have the security cameras, that I have the weapons, you know, hidden throughout, you know, because... The human condition, what I was always inspired by with being able to travel as a flight attendant was always being exposed to so much people watching. The human condition inspires me as much as nature does. Mm-hmm. So this this is kind of a different experience for me in a, in a number of different ways. So um, I am excited to, you know, getting out of this creative rut and... Um, figuring out, you know, what socializing actually looks like for me, regardless of my fears of, of racial tension and regardless of, you know, my fears of this virus, just trying to make sure that I'm safe in, in all ways and that I'm keeping others safe in all ways. <laughs> Another thing I'm looking forward to is, you know, the borders opening up because, you know... <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we definitely have access to quite a, a lot of beautiful travel here, you know, in the Americas. So, you know, hopefully borders will open up soon. I'm curious, Naomi, tell me about an experience you had pre-pandemic abroad. Mm. Yeah, I'm anticipating borders opening up soon, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, this question is interesting because I really haven't done much travel abroad. Mm-mm, don't uh, don't no. lie, I've seen pictures. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Dustin and I did one big trip, and that was my first experience abroad besides leaving Trinidad and coming to the United States. And this was back in 2018 when Dustin and I traveled through Australia and Southeast Asia for six months. And that experience for me was really eye-opening and it helped me to understand the kind of traveler, to realize the kind of traveler that I want to be. And it was actually also the trip that kickstarted my low waste journey. Dustin and I have always been pretty environmentally conscious. I was an environmental science major. I worked as, as a coastal biologist before van life. But there was still a lot of areas in my life that I feel I allowed convenience to replace consciousness in a sense. So at the beginning of our trip, we were just, you know, a trip to uh, Australia and Southeast Asia. We were just pretty much rolling with it, looking to make the most of, of the experience. But it was really hard not to see the impacts of mass tourism, mm-hmm. as well as the impacts of colonialism on the countries we were traveling through. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, I don't feel like tourism will ever be a completely sustainable in- industry because every industry has an impact no matter what. But it is possible for us to minimize our negative impact, especially as individuals traveling through the world. And that brings me back to what I was saying before about traveling intentionally and ensuring that our travel and tourism is beneficial to the destinations that we're we're visiting, that we're traveling through. Again, it's not just about environmentalism or it's not just about the environment. It's respecting local culture, avoiding industry companies and organizations that are contributing to human rights abuses, and making sure that our dollars are staying within that local economy. Also, like researching and learning about the places that we're visiting so that we can contribute to them rather than just taking Mm -hmm. away from them. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like this experience abroad like really helped me to learn the kind of impact that I want to make as a traveler. It's really like sparked uh, this lifestyle shift inside of me that I continue to carry with me today, even in my van life journey. Mm, yeah. yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank I love you. that. That's a big source of inspiration that is just like carried you for the last, how long ago was that? This was since 2018. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was a really um, impactful, you know, trip. And I mean, that's what travel is supposed to do, right? Travel supposed to inspire you to be better and I hope that everyone could have that experience when they travel yeah how about you what is a pre-pandemic experience you've had abroad you've done a lot of travels abroad as a flight attendant yeah honestly I I was thinking about this question and 
I kept thinking back to like one of the first like international trips that I had. Yeah, because it just affected me so much in terms of how I looked at blackness. And I look at Atlanta in that way where it, it shifted like a, a, it gave me a different perspective of my blackness. And the first time I went to Jamaica was another time that it shifted. You know, at the time I was, I was uh, 19. <laughs> um, this was in the early 2000s. My youth group at church, you know, we would always go to Florida because we'd known each other for years at this point. We grew up together, but we'd go to Florida, you know, every spring. And this year, our youth leader, we called him Uncle Al, he decided to take us to Jamaica. God only knows why. <laughs> we were a weird bunch. But yeah, that was really exciting. And at the time, you know, <laughs> like snap music was really popular. Crunk music had just had its time. And reggaeton was coming on the scene, you know, and, you know, I was 19, so I was splitting my time between college, working, and going out. Um, and even though Atlanta is such a black city, I felt so misunderstood there, so isolated there, and so frustrated because it is very segregated. Mm -hmm. So at school and at work, I was in very white spaces. And then when I would go out, it was, that was my black experience. That was my time to just release and celebrate and be able to be my full, you know, self, whether I wanted to be super bougie that night or day, or if I wanted to be super ratchet or whatever it was, I was able to just release that anxiety that I was carrying around. So it really didn't feel like at the time um, that I was able to really celebrate Atlanta being a black city. Um, you know, discrimination was still fairly overt just to go shopping or eating out. So when we went to Jamaica, all of us, and you know, and our, our group was even pretty diverse. We had people from Zambia, we had people from Uganda in our group, there were Eritreans in our group, um, Black Americans, Jamaican Americans. And, uh, <laughs> you know, going there and just seeing how they lit up Knowing that we had come from the U.S., it was the first time I was called American. No dash, no, like, <laughs> I was just like, who's, I was looking around like, who's American? Oh, they mean me. I'm an American. Yeah, okay, sure, <laughs> the Americans. <laughs> so um, that was interesting. But the moment I really, like, felt like such a connection with them is when I saw them dancing our, our dances and being mesmerized by our dances when we were like mesmerized by their dances they're showing us how to dutty wind and we're showing them how to like you know lean back and you know snap your fingers and do all of these like uh, different dances from Atlanta and it was just it was such a black country and it, there was just so much pride and they were sharing that with us. And there was such an, a cultural exchange. And that really affected me. Like, it made me seek that out every time I traveled. Like, I want to know where the Black people are. I want to know, like, how I can exchange with them. Like, I, you know, um, that was kind of the beginning of my international experience. Um, so it really, like, set the tone going after yeah, and it makes me it makes me look at how we interact with black people globally differently now. We should understand that there is a culture exchange especially with the continent, especially with the Caribbean. There's such a culture exchange. We have affected each other.
Mm-hmm. It's been so circular. And I don't think that that's just another missing piece of our history mm-hmm. and another reason for me of why we don't always understand each other. Mm-hmm. You know, different Black people from different places. But yeah, that 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 trip holds like a really special place in, in my heart. And every time I go back to Jamaica, it's just like revitalizes me. So I love that place. Mm, that is such an incredible story of empowerment and unity. It also reminds me of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. when he visited Jamaica. You know, he says like in Jamaica, I feel like a human being. Mm. And that is such a powerful, powerful experience and it really brings to light what you're exactly what you're saying like we need a global black solidarity Mm -hmm. and it's part of the reason I love New Orleans so much Uh, every Sunday we go to Congo Square when we lived in New Orleans and we just gather with people from across the African diaspora and just experience this global music of unity dance and There's no comparison to that type of connection. I just love that story. Thank you. I have to take you to Trinidad one day. (laughs) I would love that. I would really love that. Yeah, but it makes me think of things like that too, Mm because it's just like people don't talk about how, you know, Malcolm X, he was Mm -hmm. from Grenada. Mm -hmm. And it's very significant to me that the Immigration Act was passed you know, about a hundred years after slavery was ended in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's like it took a whole lifetime for us to be able to have access to each other again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So in this first season, (laughs) in this first season of Nomads at the Intersections, we have talked a lot about safe spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, it has really for me been a theme of 2020 and and of the building of Diversify Van Life. Mm -hmm. So for this journal prompt for this episode, we want to talk about safe spaces that we've been held responsible to protect. So we want to know, journal with us, what safe space, what spaces have you been held responsible to protect and how have you kept them safe? This is such an important question and something that, like you said, I've been reflecting on a lot in 2020 and with our ever-growing community at Diversify Van Life. And yeah, what, what it means to me to create a safe space and to be responsible for us. But I want to start with an experience I recently had on Clubhouse And before I jump in, for those of you who are not familiar with Clubhouse, it's an audio chat app where you can facilitate and take part in real-time conversations, either public or private. And Diversify Van Life has a club on Clubhouse called Van Life. And it's a space where everyone is welcome to join and participate and where we also continue to center the voices and stories of BIPOC road travelers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's lit. <laughs> <laughs> and a few days ago, I think it was sometime last week at the time of this recording, the Diversity Van Life team were hosting a room, which we host every week, Anais, you were there. And an individual I used to work with joined the room, which 
they had done on more than one occasion. I can't share the details of our previous relationship due to legal reasons, but I can say that it was a very violent and dangerous situation for me as a Black woman. One which I still haven't fully processed or recovered from. As the person who created this space, this club, this room, it's my responsibility to ensure that it remains a safe space for everyone. And if I don't feel safe, how can I be sure that it's safe for the people I'm inviting into it? For other BIPOC. And I did not feel comfortable or safe with this person in our space. So I took steps to ensure that they cannot join our rooms in the future. This person is a prominent member of the van life community. So there were friends playing the role of devil's advocate who voiced concerns about optics and the possibility of creating a division within the community. But the thing is, when it comes to creating and maintaining safe spaces, I've learned that I cannot get wrapped up in old paradigms like remaining silent in order to keep the peace. This type of inaction jeopardizes the sanctity of safe spaces. So I took on a responsibility to create a safe space for BIPOC within the van life community when I created Diversify Van Life. It wasn't something that I was consciously thinking about or planning to do. But I didn't feel safe within this community, so I took it upon myself to create a space where I could feel safe. It was out there. You know, once it was out there in the world, it became my responsibility to protect it. It's not something that I take lightly, and that responsibility extends to all spaces where our community re resides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I'm just going to say it. I know who this person is. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. And I'm glad that you did that because I indirectly experienced what that was like for you. Yeah, I remember calling you and talking to you about it. It was a brutal week. And this was right at the brink of uh, George Floyd's murder. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me a little shaky to even think about that. All of that happening all at once. Um, and you going through that. So I'm glad that you took those steps because I don't want you to feel like that could happen again. I don't want that to happen to anyone again. I don't want it to happen to me. So I'm glad that you took those steps mm -hmm. to protect our space. Because they ain't welcome here. <laughs> no, they're not. And we ain't scared to agitate. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that is self-love. Asserting that you deserve X, Y, and Z. And standing on that. And it is loving for the people around you to support that decision. Yeah. And I do feel supported. Good. I do feel loved and supported, and yeah, our team has just been... We have yeah. a great team. We do have yeah. a great team, and, and I love that we, we always view things from all these different perspectives mm -hmm. and challenge each, each other, so I really, yeah, I feel, I feel very loved. Good. 
That makes me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What spaces have you been held responsible to protect and and how how have you kept them safe well i mean with the the first thing obviously that comes to mind is our space with diversify van life specifically as it relates to you know building the community and making sure that the culture of our page um, operates in a certain way and you know even when people send some dms (laughs) y'all either I'm going to choose to interact with it or not. Like you just kind of have to read the room. Like, is this person going to be receptive? And do I need to waste my time and now invite negative energy that won't, they won't even be able to receive a different perspective? What? I'm not even going to invite that into our space of the DMs. So just different things like that. Um, And when I do respond and I feel like this person could be receptive, making sure that I can come from a place where they can, hear me and not always feel like they're going to get the brunt of my anger and frustration, which is righteous anger, but in a learning environment, it is important to be able to teach in a loving way. And sometimes, sometimes showing that rage is important. And I don't want to discount that because (laughs) ain't nobody about to tone police me. (laughs) you know what I'm saying but like uh yeah so sometimes that rage is coming from a loving place like you need to understand this and you need to feel the pain that is that is coming from what I'm saying but you know again reading the room and making sure that that can be received you know and in our comments like all of these things matter like our on our online presence is an ecosystem we all have a role to play in keeping it healthy um you know making sure that there is love in the comments and and when we're going to give different opinions that it's all constructive and it's not divisive removing just immediately removing anything that i see that is that is not aligned with our values Mm. you know because again like i said not everything needs a response yep just doesn't Um, so yeah and and then also the community I think has helped has helped me protect our space as well because I remember in the very beginning I think it was before we posted we had this post in the very beginning that went a little uh, wild in the comments it was called white people stop using the hashtag diversify van life Mm -hmm. yeah and it got a little spicy (laughs) (laughs) it got a little spicy But, you know, there was a DM that came the weeks following that was, you know, also talking about hashtags and protecting our hashtags and making sure that they're not just being filled up by by everyone that wants to be seen. No, this is, we're trying to find specific people. That's what a hashtag is for. And this young, this young woman messaged me and she's like, hey, you're posting things on the hashtag black van life that are not about black van life and i'm like "Ooh, you are right i'm just copying and pasting over here that is you're absolutely right and you know what she helped me protect those spaces again like even further so i really appreciate i really appreciated that and i think it's because we had you know a safe environment to to be able to receive feedback in the first place that she felt 
she felt able to say something. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate things like that. So, yeah, I, I definitely feel very protective over that space. Anyone who is coming to interact with us on our platform, I, I need them to know the deal mm-hmm. at the door. I just love that so much and yeah and that was us setting boundaries like this is a space where we where BIPOC center BIPOC Mm -hmm. and you have to respect this the space is created by and for BIPOC and even within our community a community of BIPOC community of marginalized people I feel I remember that that DM and I remember Immediately, I felt, you know, my body shook. And then it dawned on me. I was like, we have a responsibility to protect each other within this space. And calling each other in mm-hmm. is really such a valuable, important thing for us to do because we're all in this space together, learning, growing together, building this community, connecting, building these relationships and and shifting the narrative. And that's so important for us to be open to that. And it's how we create safe spaces within our space for each other to show up as we are authentically. And yeah, that was really a beautiful call in, Mm -hmm. I like to call it. Yes, yes. (laughs) Thank you to that person. (laughs) I think this is the perfect segue into this episode. Nomads at the Intersections takes to the skies. Anais sat down with guest Rainer Rice to expand the conversation of what it means to be a nomad. Keep listening as these two flight attendants share stories and a unique perspective around diversity and inclusivity as nomads of the airways. With all that 2020 has put us through, from illness and loss to injustice and loneliness, we could all use someone to talk to. This is the first step to taking care of our mental health, whether you're living a nomadic lifestyle or not. And thanks to BetterHelp, an online professional mental health service, you can access therapy from anywhere by scheduling secure sessions via phone and video. Plus, y'all, they have text and chat services in a safe and private online environment. Sign up and get connected with a licensed professional counselor in less than 24 hours to design your plan for therapy together in a confidential online setting. BetterHelp has over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states who specialize in things that you might be feeling right now, especially things like depression, stress, anxiety, that's me, trauma, relationships, anger, trouble sleeping, family conflicts, grief, and self-esteem. You decide what qualities are most important to have in a therapist. It's totally up to you so that you can get matched with someone you're more likely to feel safe and comfortable with from the start. So let me just say this, getting started with counseling can feel awkward to say the least, but it's really something that can help. And with BetterHelp, which takes affordability into consideration, you can get started today, even if you don't have an insurance plan that covers mental health services. Okay, I know, I'm excited too. And baby, don't worry, I got you. Nomads at the Intersections listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code NOMADS. That's N-O-M-A-D-S. So to get started, go to betterhelp.com slash nomads. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love so you can start feeling better inside out. Visit BetterHelp.com nomads and use promo code nomads for 10% off. You are listening to Nomads at the Intersections podcast. 
Welcome back to another episode of Nomads at the Intersections podcast. Today, I am especially excited to introduce our guest, Raina Rice. She is the founder of IAL365 and a former colleague of mine. Hi, Raina. Hi. I'm so honored to have you here for this discussion today. Raina and I graduated from the same flight attendant class, but we never got the chance to fly together. (laughs) So today is a real treat for me because it's going to be the galley gossip I never got with Miss Rice. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And additionally, I'm really honored to have you here to expand the scope of what a nomad looks like and to move beyond the perspective of road travel. So Mm -hmm. like workers in healthcare, hospitality, and transportation, flight attendants are employees who must create a safe environment for its guests. For us as flight attendants, this is extremely important, Uh, not only for the physical safety of ourselves and the passengers, but for the emotional well-being of the flight as a whole. Everyone in flight is far from home, uh, you know, all trapped in this metal tube together for hours, yet not everyone is on their best behavior, including Mm. the flight crew. As we have seen in many other industries, people bring their racism, their xenophobia, their queer phobias, and their biases into their workplace. I remember flying Mexico out of Dallas for the first several months after graduation, and it really took everything in me, Reina, to keep my job those first few months. Like, Mm. the way some of the senior crew would talk about people who don't speak English would push me even harder at that time to learn more airport-related Spanish. Unfortunately, there isn't a designated paid Spanish-speaking flight attendant on every flight to Mexico or every Spanish-speaking country. And there really needed to be. For me, it was clear that if the company didn't care about making its flights inclusive of the of the demographic that was flying, mm-hmm. then that burden would fall on those of us that actually cared to pick up the slack. And it was painfully obvious that not everyone cared to do so. Talk to me about what creating an inclusive, safe space on your flight looks like. And have you had a disappointing experience with crew who clearly could benefit from some diversity training? Ah, yes. Thanks again for introducing me, Anais. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Raina. I would have to say, for me, creating an inclusive safe space while on my flights, to me, it looks like going above and beyond. So whether it's hearing and vision impaired, whether it's, you know, someone with special needs, it's much easier and more efficient to accommodate these people if, you know, we know in advance. So for me, it's really just trying to go the extra mile. And I usually work the position that's in the aisle anyway Mm -hmm. so i'm I'm scouring for that sort of situation so they don't you know because that's when panic will set in and frustration causes 
a lot yes. of emotions and I, I want to avoid those. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm being aware of, you know, okay, do you need guidance? Do you need uh, assistance to your seat? You know, there's like Spanish speakers who, or even first time flyers. Yes. Yes. The seat number is right there on these, but you be <laughs> people, not you, but people will be surprised that they will come all the way to the back of the plane and their seat number is like six. Right. Like the sixth row. Like, so, you know, it's class. just having a patience. Yes, girl, you in the first class. I've had that where I'm like, baby, you in the first class. Let me show you, you know. So I, it's just having a patience to mm-hmm. maneuver in that aisle with so many different diverse people. So you're in the in the aisle position. So you're already that flight attendant that's like very mindful of the environment and making sure that the space is safe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's people who, you know, even if they need a seatbelt extension, there's people I have to keep in mind, too, that they see me in the aisle and it doesn't look like I'm working. But, you know, I'm being mm-hmm. mindful. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure we're going to have an on-time departure. I'm making sure the bins are not clo- uh, closed when they're still empty, or I'm making sure they are closed when they're full. You know, I'm keeping the the boarding process going and flowing. Yeah. Have you had like a disappointing experience with crew where you were just like, you clearly don't know how to deal with people of color or anyone that doesn't look like you? <laughs> what What has that been like? I have not had too many of those experiences, but I've had little things where, like you said, making little comments about a Spanish speaker or, and it's usually just because I'm based in Miami. Mm -hmm. So it's usually either Spanish or Portuguese. And so I've had little comments here and there. And it's like, to be honest, like I did Spanish in high school. So I'd be trying to, I'm trying to practice. I'd be trying to, you know, utilize this and have a conversation with them anyway. But sometimes the comments, I'm just like, really? Is mm-hmm. is that hard to to learn the the basic mm-hmm. airport airplane Hugo de Naranja? Like, is that hard in, in El Baño? Like they, I don't know. So it's, it's small moments of like that nature, but I've heard horror stories with that too. So it's definitely out there and it definitely needs to be something that's continued throughout a flight attendant's career is that that diversity training because sometimes we're in our own bubble and we don't even see that we're being a type of prejudice or not considering other people's needs and just self-centered. Yeah. And it's all about you and you don't see beyond having some type of special need. Yeah, or not making space for other people's, like, cultures or, or you know, like, because I flew out of Dallas, you flew out of Miami. So when I was flying out of mm-hmm. Dallas, um, that was, like, half of my time at the airline that we were both at. And it just felt like those senior mamas in particular, every time we would go to somewhere like Miami or somewhere where it was a country of color, just the comments it's just like you've been flying for to this probably to this country for like 25 years and you still <laughs> only know how to say gracias and hola <laughs> and and just like that too no no like particular act gracias gracias so, you know that always bothered me and it kind of I think it kind of took me aback a little bit because our graduating class was like almost half people of color 
But then when we got on the line, when we got in the air, the crews were like more than 80% white women. And for me, that's like a particular type of racism. It's like very, I don't know, manipulative at times. And, um, you know, Mm -hmm. a a little sneaky at times. So I I definitely saw that a lot out of Dallas in particular. Maybe it's because it was the South. Yeah, I think that's the important part is that you were based in Dallas. I was based in Miami because I saw a lot of young and I saw a lot of Latina, Latino, Mm -hmm. Black. I think the white people were the minority there in my crews and on my lines. Now, if you went to Europe or somewhere, yes, then it's kind of different. But, you know, just something that you you or I would have held, it would be the people that look like us. So I did, I, I enjoyed and I appreciated that about Miami base, but I definitely know that Dallas had it totally different. Oh yeah, and they hated, they hated uh, the idea of ever being based in Miami. It's like, oh no, those people are so aggressive and da 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 da, they don't speak English. <laughs> but it's been more so the privilege. The, yeah. Oh, I don't want to sit next to this person type of thing. But you, in that case, if you have a racism or something, you need to go private. Oh, it happens. I mean, when you said that they don't want certain people sitting next to them, I've had that happen so many times. Like one time in particular, this man was pressing me so hard during boarding. A large, large man too. Like it wasn't like he was, you know, unable he didn't look like he was unable to defend himself and I don't know if that's like ableist comment but even still he was pointing to this woman tiny little woman um that he did not want to sit next to I just you know she has these needles and it's just like she could stab someone in the neck with it if she wanted to and I didn't know who he I hadn't seen this person yet I'm in the back galley So I was like, okay, sir, I will look into it. But I already, like, my red flags were going off. I was like, this man, just, I don't know what, this doesn't feel Mm -hmm. right. So I go and I Mm kind of like, you know, how you, like, pass by the the seat and just kind of peek or whatever. Of course, it's a woman wearing a hijab. Yeah. And she's literally knitting. So Mm. those are the needles that he's talking about. She's knitting. (laughs) She's knitting. (laughs) Like, the most, like peaceful thing you could do on a flight and he's accusing her of possibly being a murderer right so i'm i'm hot i'm hot at this point and i'm trying to just keep that little smile plastered on my face but i go straight and directly up to the number one flight attendant in the front and i'm like look and i explain the situation and i'm just like i'm really trying not to like yell at him right now but i i need a solution i i want to move this woman away from him because she is not safe in that seat and oh, just the best outcome ever happened. She's like, oh, I got extra mm-hmm. seats up here in first class. I was like, girl, you ain't said nothing. <laughs> you ain't said nothing but a word. Next question. Have you have you ever been asked if you sleep in the overhead bins? I feel like people ask me that all the time. I'm like, where is this no. coming from? People ask me all the time, do you sleep in the overhead bins? I'm like, Never. no. <laughs> that is weird. How do you deal with jet lag? Ooh, I I got rituals on these. I got rituals. When rituals. I get home, it, do you do melatonin? No, no, me either. I I don't believe in it. I I don't feel comfortable with that because <laughs> you don't believe in it. Whose melatonin is that? 
Uh uh-uh. uh. So for me, <laughs> I just I do because <laughs> I start thinking like yeah. So for me, I know I go ahead. I get that lavender. When I would get home, I would immediately turn on my oils. And if it was like a rough kind of three day, four day, however long the trip was, I would sage. Uh, open some windows. I always have to let let in a natural light. Mm-hmm. It just makes me. It already uplifts my spirit. Like, it resets period, you, no matter what. Okay. Yes, it resets me. Okay, on a scale of one to ten, how annoyed are you when a passenger tries to hit on you? I mean, it depends on that passenger. <laughs> I mean, if the passenger <laughs> looks nice, you know. Okay, I will. I gotta put this out there. I have a boyfriend now. So, okay. you know, I, I keep it cute. I, okay. You know, I, I keep it pushing. But prior to that boyfriend, you know, it it just it just depends on what that passenger looked like, what it, what he was about, what his energy. Yes. It, okay. You know, so in another time, in another space, if 23 Charlie approached you on a scale of one to 10, it would just depend on what, if you were annoyed or not. Um, if he had that BDE, if he had that, like, (laughs) (laughs) if he had that confidence, if he had that, it's not even about him being drop dead gorgeous, but that confidence to even Mm. approach me and approach me like a lady. Do it right. How many times per flight do you say the word push? (laughs) Girl. (laughs) <laughs> I want to say minimum because I say push in different languages too now. So okay, <laughs> uh-huh. so I want to say on average a good and I and I I work the back, so it's just too many times. I want to say average twenty times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll even do the the Her hour the now. movement. <laughs> I'll do the movement too. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Yes. Have you ever fallen in love on a layover? No. Okay. That's a yes for me. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so we can't get this story? I mean... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so real, 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 real real quick. I mean, he... I was... It was on a Paris layover, layover, and it was like one of my first times hanging out with crew in Paris so we were in the crew room and we're we had just gone to like the village so we had like our wine we had our bread we had like all the snacks all the things right feeling really cute feeling very French but absolutely not French (laughs) and um there was a there was other crew in there so like you know like I said it was a lot of flight crews that would uh, stay at our same hotel so it was like a good mix of like different people. And there was a guy sitting on the couch like next to me. I'm kicking like with everybody like across the room, but I'm like seated in my chair, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, we're getting more and more saucy. And, you know, the flight attendant in me, like he wasn't talking and I wanted to him to feel included or whatever. And he was uh-huh. cute. He just, just wasn't talking at all. So I was like, oh, do you want some of my food? <laughs> do you want something to drink? Do you want some wine? <laughs> right, you know? Right. And that just sparked like a whole conversation from there. And he he was just, I couldn't stop staring at like his butt chin. He had like this Superman butt chin. <laughs> and he had the dark, dark hair like Clark Kent. So I was like, oh my gosh, he's just so cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, we're like, all of a sudden we're laughing, we're kikiing and... 
the room starts to like thin out and it's just like me and like a couple other of my crew left and like pretty much all the other flight attendants were gone and um one of the people in my crew wanted to go out so i was like you know what i haven't partied in paris yet let's go you know i'm saucy he's saucy everybody's saucy so it's just like the three of us we jump in the uber go to the city and this man, I mean, it was just like the little things, Rena. Like the conversation was already there. We had already talked and drank and ate for like three hours at that point. And now he's like giving me piggyback rides through the streets oh of Paris. <laughs> like, and you know, he's like he's holding my hand, and I'm I'm not really a person that does that like immediately because it feels like kissing to me. Mm-hmm. But he's like holding my hand. He's, you know, he's being protective over both me and my friend. So we go to this, <sighs> we go to this gay club because um, my friend wants to go. And I've never been, but I've heard like all the stories, right? It's like full frontal. They're having showers like on stage. Like it's just like a lot going oh. on. So we get to the bar and the the bartender had said something. I don't even remember. He said something to my friend. And I just looked at uh, the gentleman that I was with and and he just like he just got it. He knew what to do. And he just immediately stepped in for my friend, was like protecting him. And I it just just all the things like I felt safe. See? I felt, you know, I felt seen at one point in the night. He had like put like he literally put his face in my hair in Reina. <laughs> you melted. <laughs> I melted. I melted. Oh my God. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. So we finally get back to the hotel. And, you know, of course, we're all staying there. So he takes me up to my floor. And I thought I was going to get off scot free. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a tease. So I'm always trying to run away. Right. 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 <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm literally like walking away he gets off the elevator with me and I'm like walking away he grabs my hand and kisses me and I just I it was the best kiss honestly but all I could think about is my red lipstick all over my face <laughs> I'm so stupid for this I'm it's, it's a regret <laughs> but I literally just like ran I literally ran away like a little girl I was just like I can't do it oh my god <laughs> Oh my gosh. But yeah, that was me. I'm so ridiculous for that. Um, (laughs) But I want to talk about something that you've done something really incredible with your time on the ground. I believe I was visiting you in Miami. We were shopping. We were having a good little time. And you were like, yeah, my dream is to start a stationary brand. Fast forward like three years later and you have created that brand, right? And it features these characters and resources that make BIPOC feel seen as travelers. So tell me, what inspired you to create Stationery specifically and what made you approach it with diversity and inclusion in mind? You know what? What inspired me to create Stationery was I'm more traditional. I like a book. I want it in my hand. I like the feel of it, the smell of it. And I wanted something that I could take with me to go. Like, I didn't have to be, you know, at a coffee shop, for example, in order to enjoy this. I could be on the plane or I could be anywhere. So stationary was already, it was just a route for me because I'm a planner girl. I grew up wanting to put stickers on everything and doodle and things like that. So it just naturally was stationary, at least to begin with. Mm-hmm. 
And so I always knew I wanted to do it. But to be honest, when I first started, I wouldn't slow down long enough to do it. Month after month after on my off days, I went back to work. And then I come home. Sometimes I come home for 12 hours, like a legal rest or something, and go right back out the next morning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would right. come home and maybe have one day off, only <laughs> long enough to be able to wash my clothes, re-up everything, like my toiletries and stuff like that, to be able to sleep in my own bed long enough. <laughs> but outside of that, I was back at work. And um, I was doing that for the first year, or at least from, I got hired May until December, at least from May to December of 2016. So then that's when I ended up buddy bidding. I didn't initially buddy bid, but we, uh, my friend and I, you know him, Jamal, he ended up on my line. And I was that type who would pay to just fix my line. I just want a nice vacation. Just fix it. I don't want to figure that out. Just fix it. Her schedule. Yes. Yes. Line. Just schedule my line. Get me the right trips. I want cute, long layovers, but I want a nice vacation. So here I am paying somebody to do this. And here Jamal was, he did it himself and ended up on my same line. So when I started flying with him, that first month we flew together, I didn't pick up those extra trips. And when I didn't pick up those extra trips, mm. I was able to take the time out that I needed. Then that changed it up for me. So I was like, okay, this month, I'm not gonna pick up the extra trips so that I can go to Starbucks and do my stuff, work on the things I wanted mm. to create. Cause I knew I wanted to create things that, like I'm, I'm spending 50, $70 for planners and I'm like, but I can make my own. Why not do it? So right. I, that was my first product was a, a planner, a, a crew planner at that, a flight attendant planner. And I launched it December, New Year's Eve of 2019. So, and I did that on my days off at a Starbucks. Starbucks got a lot of my money because I literally would be there for <laughs> as if it was a, another job. The planners that I would pay the, this money for, I didn't see myself in these planners. The stationery I would pay, mm. the stickers I would get, I didn't see myself in these stickers, you know? I was tired mm, yeah. of not seeing myself. I felt like I deserve to see someone that looks like me to be inspired on a daily. I deserve to have someone with the curly hair, with the kinky hair, with the dark skin. I'm ready to see that girl. Gone are the days that I was insecure about, maybe that's too much. Maybe that's too much of my blackness, or maybe that's too much of myself that I'm portraying when I'm in these mostly all white spaces. So gone are those days. And what helps me keep that in mind that you're enough, you're more than enough, mm. and you belong at the table is to have things around me that have like a person that looks like me. For me, your planner, it was the resources in the very front for me. Like the, the way you inserted your natural speaking voice that felt like I was talking to my girlfriend and I just kept thinking like wow I wish I would have had this planner like in my first year of flying but there was because because there's just so much that you're thrown into yes. and you just have to figure it out because there's just so much that they don't tell you they don't teach you and they do teach you a lot mm -hmm. but you I mean you included specific things in there that were like for black women yeah and that really like 
it kind of, it took me aback because I was like, oh, wow, I've never, I've never seen that before. Uh, especially not in like stationary or a planner or something that's supposed to be very intentional for you, like, you know, your the manifestation of your dreams. Mm-hmm. It, it, I've never seen anything like that uh, geared towards me. So I felt extremely seen, especially in a year like 2020, which is when I bought the planner. Yes. <laughs> uh, when, you know, creating those goals and dreams are, was very scary, but it was extremely instrumental in me sort of trying to, you know, pave a path forward through all of that, that chaos. Right, right. Um, so thank you for that. Because <laughs> I don't know if I'd actually be sitting here uh, if it wasn't for, for that intentionality that you put that you poured into it. Another question that I have for you. So like flight crew, flight crew can be away from home for months at a time, depending on the aviation authority that you fly under. Mm-hmm. For instance, In the U.S., carriers fly under the jurisdiction of the FAA, and in Europe, crew fly under EASA. I've personally flown with both agencies, and in my opinion, neither a lot enough recovery time for flight crew to show up as their fully rested and capable selves. In addition, there is not enough mental health support for flight crew. A lot of people were shocked, um by Anthony Bardane's suicide, but to be honest, like, I wasn't. Um, I've heard so many of my crew tell me they experience depression on days that they don't fly. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. to top it off, there's never enough acknowledgement of the death we have to see, especially of our international fly family. When the Ethiopian Airlines' entire crew was killed very recently in that, that 737 chaos mm-hmm. um it shook me a little because actually it shook me a lot because whenever we're in paris we stay with those girls in the same hotel so mm. it it took me back to that trauma that you know reina you our teachers they displayed that trauma so many years after 9 11 while training us and you know their their ptsd yes. <laughs> felt very tangible. Yes. And I just want to know, like, what what has been your experience like with protecting your legal rest as a flight attendant? And how have you been able to create a home away from home wherever you are? Well, when it comes to protecting my legal rest as a flight attendant, for me, I signed up to put safety first. So that's what I'll do. So including the safety of myself my crew and the passengers. So when I go beyond that time, cause it's set in place, legal rest for a reason. When I go beyond that time, oh, okay. Well, it's about that time for me to call crew scheduling. Matter of fact, I call them in advance. Hey, it looks like I'm about to go illegal at, you know, in an hour or something. Like you've worked too many hours. Exactly, I've worked too many hours and you know, when you get to that threshold, you're already tired. Anything beyond that, I feel like you're delusional. You're 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 just like fatigue. You're you may not use your best judgment. And that put that can put a lot of people in harm's way because yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's very important for me to stand up on that. And I had a situation where it was well aware that we were about to be illegal. And we it was like two hours out. Hey, 
We're going illegal. They confirmed it. Cool. At this time, you will be illegal. Cool. The whole crew, we had been flying together all month, so we were pretty familiar with each other. So we're doing what we're doing. It was delay after delay. And so we're chilling and we're sitting, waiting on the, on the, on the plane to be ready for us to go. I think we we're going to Jamaica. And um, we're waiting. Then all of a sudden, we're about to board again. And at this point, we're about to be illegal in 45 minutes. Mm. The company is aware of this. So, mm-hmm. okay. We're like, so do you want us to board the flight and just board, just board? Okay. We board the flight. We get on a flight. There's no catering. You know, they wanted us to leave without catering. We can't even. How long was the flight? The flight is, a, you know, it's like an hour 20, but there's no water. So I don't mind the no having food, but no water. No, I'm not leaving without water. No, 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 no. I'm not doing it. So I'm like, that's not even, that's, that's, that's a no-go item. Is it not? You guys tell me at this point, because now you're, you're making me question. Okay. So now the number one was flustered and he just kept coming back there saying, you know, they're saying that, you know, we're going to have to go regardless. Mm, No, that's, that's not how it goes. That's why we have legalities. That's why we have a contract. And right now I'm going to stand on my contract. And I told him to go ahead and tell whoever called you that you're missing a number four. That number four is me. Cause at this point I'm illegal. So, and then my buddy bitter's like, oh, you're missing a number four and a number two. So at this point, because he was afraid you could, and, and that's the, that's the, that's what was sad about it. That pressure that was put on him he was afraid to to say no at that point, even though legally we did not have to, nor should we had. Because safety-wise, it just wasn't cool. Because what if we would have continued to delay somewhere else? Like, there's no guarantee that the flight would have just been an hour and then we're good. No, there's no guarantee there. And seeing as we had flown beyond that time and we had been waiting around, whatever it is, it was time for us to go to the hotel. We needed a break. Yeah. And that's just a safety thing to do. So I'm gonna choose safety, period. So he was afraid to just say no. We we can't. It's not right. We and will it is not scary to say no. Yes, exactly. And it's that pressure, you know, and I understood it. And that's why I gave him, here's your way out of it. Cause I'm telling you, you don't because you can't operate a, a plane without minimum crew. And the minimum crew for that right. 737 was four people. So if you're missing two right. people, you're not going anywhere. And they know better because you can, anything can happen on the flight. There could be a fire. There yes. could be someone passing out. There could some be someone having a heart attack. Uh-huh. And if you're over here fatigued, if you fell asleep on the jump seat, if you're having micro sleeps while you're standing up, uh-huh. then what? You're not, you're not able to show up as your full self. I can't show up as my full self, but I'm still responsible for allowing that. I'm responsible right. for allowing myself to go beyond that legal rest, knowing that I'm, I, I can't, I'm not fully here like I need to be. So after doing all of that, like emotional labor, to, like, you know, juggling different people, managing the expectations of a, you know, a, a flight of hundreds of people, 
what how are you able to sort of get yourself back to square one like how have you been able to sort of create that home away from home that's where rituals came in i started rituals after my first year of flying i really got into chakras and i got into self-care and even self-love because I need to love myself enough to to tell myself it's time to slow down, it's time to stop, and it's time to reset. And so with those things, that's when I started creating products for myself to, to take with me. So during delays, I can sit there and color in my coloring book. I can sit there and plan things to take my mind off of the chaos, to take my mind off of, girl, you just sitting here and what's going on, nobody really knows. All that, I just need to escape a little bit and I just need to make sure that I'm putting myself first in situations like that so that internally and mentally, I'm still performing at a high level. So I started doing like rituals and um, buddy bidding actually helped as well, but I would make sure um, deep, taking deep breaths goes a long way. And it's easy <laughs> yes, and it it's free. And like, oh my gosh, just the act of taking a deep breath on a flight, like before you respond to angry passengers, before you mm-hmm. respond to angry coworkers and people under pressure, that deep breath just helps me to kind of center myself and respond in a way that of a woman that I'm trying to become, not of a woman who Mm. is frustrated in this moment and this moment is not gonna last forever. My way of creating a home away from home, wherever I am, honestly, is in that luggage. That's one part of it. My (laughs) luggage is so heavy on (laughs) these. Like, I gotta prepare. I gotta pack for the inevitable. Like, I gotta just know, you know, I'm, I'm covered. So if we get stuck here, I got underwear for days. I got my gym clothes because gym is bay. I go to that gym and everything just sweat out. I don't I don't take that day with me. That is gone. I don't remember what happened. I can't even really tell you the details of things that may have went left because I went to the gym, I got my gym clothes, I got my gym shoes, and that's all that matters. If I'm away, sometimes I bring incense. For the hotel room, I love that. you know, sometimes I bring, mm-hmm. um, I always carry lavender oil. <laughs> you can ask my buddy better. When we, if there's a, a high intense moment, I go get my oil, put a little bit on like a little napkin and I just give it to whoever it is the, of the crew. And I say, breathe it in. Okay. <laughs> breathe it out. <laughs> and I'm like, is it that serious? Get, are we good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I actually created a mantra on on a plane on ease because one day I was about to lose it. So I went into the bathroom, into the lavatory, and I looked in a mirror and I did my deep breaths and I had some little lavender on that napkin. I said, I am kind, I am pleasant, <laughs> and I am patient, okay? Because mm. that's how I want to show up in the world anyway. When you feel centered, and I feel centered when I feel comfortable. And I feel safe and secure and I feel heard. So that's how I keep that home away from home. 
I love that. I really do. I love that, especially what you said about like the rituals. I feel like I've gotten more into practicing my rituals like regularly as I've created like, you know, the space in my truck for that. And like I ideally, you know, my plan was to fly and uh, you know, work on a plane and live in a truck. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the pandemic didn't really allow that to, to fully happen. But I tell you, if I was able, if I had known about van life, when I first became a flight attendant, I would have done it then. Because having that home, you know, wherever you are is so vital as, you know, someone that deals with, you know, a thousand people sometimes a day. Mm-hmm. I ended up moving across the country four times in 18 months. Oh, and I tell my you, I was not I was not centered. Mm. I was not centered. I was not traveling slowly. So I really everything you said just really resonated with me. I want to know, how do you feel about flying now, considering like the current state of the world with the heightened racial tension and the pandemic in full swing? And do you believe like the airline? Do you believe the airlines are really doing enough to protect passengers and crew I would say I rather not fly now I I was furloughed October um, of last year and um, although it was sad it was also one of those things where it was like you know what that's probably a good thing right now this COVID is that was new to everyone and with that being said, like I, I wanna I wanna stay healthy. And I don't wanna go on a trip, be around all of these people, a lot of which sometimes you don't know if anyone's infected. They may not know, maybe they know, who knows? But then have to go home to whoever that is I'm with, whether it's my parent, my boyfriend, whatever, and then put them at risk. I had a, a trip in March right when COVID kind of hit and things started like, whoa, what's going on, COVID? Like I, I went to Paris, Paris was locked up. We couldn't leave our hotel rooms. So that was my last trip. And then I went on like a, the the trips kind of got, they got cut drastically because people stopped traveling. And then I went on a leave because I felt like I want to, I want them to be able to figure this out without me there. (laughs) Like, I don't want to be a part of that. Let's figure it out. I don't want to be a part of that. uh, Yeah, on second thought, we probably need to double mask or we probably need to go ahead and wear gloves. We probably should do this now because it's the trial and error because it was new and I didn't want to be a part of that trial and error. Oh yeah. You know, I, I honestly, and when you say, do I feel like the airline did enough? At the beginning, no, because masks weren't required. Did they allow you to wear masks? Because we weren't allowed. No. I don't even know if you were allowed to wear gloves, but I for sure wore gloves because we were still doing services. So when I went to Paris, masks weren't uh, required, nor was it allowed. I'm not even sure if gloves were allowed, but I remember me, me personally, I had on gloves. If that's what the CDC was saying, I I felt like that mask thing should have been already priority put a mask on we may not they may not have been able to issue us one company issued but yes wear a mask like that type of thing i I sometimes feel like you got to put your foot down um to to 
ensure the safety of your your pass not not just the passengers but also your employees like when i feel like i have that support from the company then i feel more at ease i feel more comfortable with my day-to-day as a flight attendant being around so many different people so many different people that you never know what they're gonna say you never know what they're gonna do so there's sometimes where i it you know that stress you either take flight <laughs> or you fight and you don't have that long to really determine that sometimes your body just naturally reacts to it and i i feel like if we as flight attendants felt like the company backed us a little bit more, you know, then perhaps a lot of issues could be maybe not avoided, but handled differently. This past summer with, with, with George Floyd. Yes. Oh my gosh. George Floyd with all of that stuff that opened up companies' eyes. I feel like the companies are taking inclusivity and diversity a little more seriously. Finally. Thank you. I do want to talk to you a little bit about layovers before we um, wrap up. I just have a few more questions for you. Um, Flying professionally as a Black woman, especially internationally, has really forced me to reach deep down for, like, patience, as you've Hmm. talked about many times with people And, you know, to get in touch with my intuition in a real way, like I've I've got I've had to get really good at reading a room, you know, Mm -hmm. and to add another layer to that traveling while black experience colorism is relative everywhere you go. Right. Mm -hmm. I can pretty much I can pretty much redline the globe in terms of which regions I feel safe in. And I know you mentioned, like, you know, the Caribbean is kind of like your go-to place. But I'm curious, like, I'm curious to know how has colorism affected your experience traveling as a flight attendant? So I was on a layover in Barbados, going to Caribbean, and it was one of those trips, one of those ideal, like, one leg there. So we're just excited. We're there. We are just having a great old time, kicking the splashing water, you know, got our feet mm-hmm. in the pool. And these two, three guys come up to us. Um, and it's towards, it's, it's a little, it's getting darker. And two of the guys were white. One guy was, he appeared to be like a, a lighter brown skin black guy. That's what he appeared mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. So then the two guys are like, you guys are flight attendants? And we looked, and you know, we always say, yeah, I mean, it depends on who wants to know type of thing, because we're off duty. So we don't want to be all, you know, like, who are you? <laughs> so he, they're like, oh, we're pilots with, um, you know, airline, da, da, da. Oh, okay, hey, what's going yeah. on? And then the third guy was just like, you guys flew, flew me here. Or no, you guys were on my flight. And I said, more like you were on our flight, but we get it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so... That's that's how it started. We're just talking. Those those two white guys are really cool. They're like, yeah. So you know, we're starting to talk about industry aviation type stuff. And me being who I am, I don't know if it's a flight attendant thing or if it's just you know, good person like you said, Anisa. I noticed that the other guy wasn't really talking much, so I wanted to make sure he felt included because we were mm-hmm. talking aviation stuff. 
So right. I was like, you know, just asking him about vacationing and are you here on vacation? And are you, you know, what's your favorite place to go to? And all of these things. And somehow, you know, he was talking about it. And I guess he wanted to read. He said something about us being my buddy, Bitter and I, we're two chocolate, beautiful human beings. Mm -hmm. We, we like, we tend to like to work in the back just because we like to deal with uh main cabin. We like to work the aisles, you know, in the front, they, they, they want too much. Okay. And so the, the main cabin, they just want to want their drink, you know, and I, I just like to interact with them more. So, so we tend to work in the back and, he mentioned how, you know, when we brought him there, you know, we were in the back and then he saw my other friend who was with us in the front and, and he made some type of comment. My buddy better was like, well, I mean, it's nothing for us to work the front. It's not that we cannot work the front. It's a preference, you know? And mm-hmm. so he makes a comment. He was like, oh, oh, so you, what are you guys going to do? Throw your do-rags on and make sure you work the front with your do-rag on? Honey, so I looked what? at my buddy better. I was so perplexed on what the fuck did he just say? Even the the two white guys who are pilots and who clearly know better than him are like, dude, that's not cool. Why would you say something like that? And then they're right. they're trying to distance themselves, like, yo, we just met him, you know. <laughs> you We're know. not with this guy, you don't know him. <laughs> you you he he came on y'all flight, remember that? Like we don't know him. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I just got a glimpse into your childhood. I just got a Ooh. glimpse into how you felt growing up. I don't know what your background is, but you know what he had when I was ta- talking to him earlier and asking him where, where he was from and where he liked to go to vacation, I realized he was Puerto Rican. He doesn't appear to be Puerto Rican on the outside. He just looks like a, you know, a brown skinned black man. Mm. So when he said that, I was like, you know what? You're projecting your insecurity onto us. Ooh. And he was like, that like offended him in a way where he stopped, you know, cause he was kind of egging Jamal on a little bit still. Like, you know, it was a joke, get over it, that type of thing. But when I said that he stopped and everybody just kind of looked at him and he was like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Da-da-da. And I just created my own scenario. I don't know you, but let me tell you what you coming off as. It's coming mm-hmm. off as though, when you grew up, maybe you didn't get enough attention. Maybe you felt like that black sheep or the, the, the odd guy out. Maybe you were the darkest one in your family. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is, but there was something, there's something there and it's still there and you need therapy for it, but you are gonna get this therapy right now because you're not gonna come into my space. You guys came over here and came to converse with us. And then you, for you to leave that little comment and try to make us the butt of the joke. No, we don't play that around here. So here's the thing. It sounds like too that you, cause he went to this, I think he went to this prestigious college that was predominantly white. So I'm like, I think you're used to trying to fit in in that sense where Ooh. you try to make fun of black people or people who are the minority or oddly whatever instead of you trying to be inclusive and instead of you growing the fuck up and seeing beauty in everybody for who they are, you're still in that cycle of insecurity, that cycle of, you don't, you don't love yourself. I said, listen, I don't joke like that. 
because I, yeah. I've had enough experiences growing up where I didn't, I didn't have a voice then. I wouldn't say mm. anything to these people when they would say little colorist remarks. But now mm. you, you caught the right one. Cause I know a lot about myself. I did a lot of inside work for me to be okay enough to just calmly tell you about yourself. Despite that interaction, like you, um, is the Caribbean where you feel, is, is that where you feel most celebrated in the world? Like your blackness, you can just literally be your most authentic self and you feel the most comfortable and safe in your skin and, and fully celebrated. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even Greece, I went to Greece and I felt like a god is there. Yeah. I'm like, gosh, they kept stopping me. Your skin is so beautiful. And I'm yes. just like, thank you, Blue. I know. Thank you. I love that. I but love yes, that. yes, the Caribbean, especially because it's, it's a beach, it's sexy, people look like mm -hmm. me. Um, my body type is celebrated. My mm. hair, my braids, however I choose to wear my hair is celebrated. So I feel, I feel included. I feel celebrated. I feel, I feel beautiful. Before we go, I want to ask you just a couple of questions that we're asking all of our guests this season on Nomads at the Intersections. So the first question is, what strengths have you felt yourself tap into in 2020? I would say creativity and mm. um, self-care, patience, because, you know, when COVID started, you just didn't know the fate of everything. I just wasn't sure if I even was gonna have a job. And so that, with it all just being over my head, just in the air like that, mm. I would wake up with anxiety. Like my stomach mm. would hurt that I had like a ball in my stomach. Cause I was like keeping it there until I realized what it was. And I realized, listen, you gotta tap into those self-care tools. You gotta tap into all the products that you create for for this. And also tap into just breathing and get mm -hmm. more creative. It, it made me more creative because I needed to not have my mind with the what ifs and living in the future. So I had to be present and I, I tap into meditating a lot. Yeah. And my affirmations, ooh, my affirmations got me through a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yes, I love. I got. I have to start implementing more affirmations, like because I hear you talk about Ooh, them all the they're time. They're powerful. Mm, yeah, so powerful. Yeah. yeah, especially growing up the way I did. And I, I, I love that you said creativity. I, <laughs> I keep looking at the coloring book that you made, and I'm so afraid to color in it. But like, because <laughs> it's so pretty, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. But like, yeah, I, oh I, I do love to color and I love that that's a part of your like your stationary brand because it is a very like calming, soothing sort of ritual. OK, so the second question and fair warning, because this is a very open ended question, but I'd like to ask you what you think a truly inclusive world would look like. So if you could just finish the following statement. In a truly inclusive world, blank. In a truly inclusive world, we would all be comfortable being ourselves. Hmm. Whatever that look like and what co whatever capacity that, that that is. I love that. I love that. That really resonated with me. If, if, yeah. 
if we had the space to be ourselves yes yeah that's powerful thank you reina thank you thank you so much <laughs> this was such a nice conversation i appreciate you um really and everything it. that you shared with us today it was just really really powerful Thank you for tuning in to Nomads at the Intersections podcast. We are so happy you joined us. We'll return with a full episode in your podcast feed in one month. But we got you covered until then. Connect with us on Instagram at Nomads at the Intersections pod and at diversify.bandlife for exclusive extras you won't see anywhere else. Also, check out the show notes for our favorite quotes from this episode, as well as a few journal writing prompts. We even created a playlist for our nomads out there. Y'all, it's a whole vibe. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and follow our host on socials at Irie to Aurora and at Anais Monique. Nomads at the Intersections is a Ravel Media production with special thanks to Busted Slate Media. Music by Smart Monkey Music. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Play and mention Nomads at the Intersections or Diversify Van Life in your review.